Our next speaker is Mr. Mick Wallace. Madness. Madness. This is madness. We cannot fix a problem caused by capitalism with more capitalism. They hurt the people. I ended up at the end of a gun. On three occasions. I don't well to survive anyway. Madame Daly will speak. A union which allows fiscal rules to be broken for arms expenditure, not for housing or to put roofs over the heads of people. This is evidence of police violence. Whether you're an economic migrant or you're an asylum seeker, nobody deserves to be treated like this. And even having the neck to suggest separating people from their mothers. How dare you? Cool. Hello and welcome and guten tag to all. Uh, you're listening to yet another episode of I Foresee oh, Trouble. Off again. What daily? What? Oh, come on, that's not really. <laughs> I can show an Everyone off saying knows guten tag, guten tag. Like, I didn't Auf Wiedersehen <laughs> Say at the end Auf Wiedersehen so, the, only, the only time I know is, is uh, I got I got uh, I was at the beer, Munich Beer Festival Here Before most of you were born <laughs> And uh, I got a job selling uh, This thing that just, that, that, uh, that illuminates Around your neck Right But it's a real con job Because once they get warm They stop uh, shining and all Right So but they taught me How to say Schweistuck per drei Mark Right It was two for three marks That's the only German I, I, I learned but, uh, Anyway <laughs> no, good, I, I made a right job uh, Selling them and, anyway, uh, and, and then spent it on you're beer You're probably asking Why are we speaking German <laughs> And I proceed trouble With Dalian Wallace Well Today's episode is part of our Euro trip on our interrailing through Europe and our whistle stop tour through each capital where we talk about each member state in a bit more detail than usual. So today we're in Germany, big player. Um, but before that, just if you haven't listened um, to other episodes before, we have over 50 episodes of us nagging and waffling on that you can chime back to and, and have a listen to. Um, the last episode was a special on Palestine. Um, so give that a listen and let us know what you think. So um, today we are uh, stopping by in Germany. Tell us some fun things that people don't know about Germany in the European Union. I suppose people don't think of fun when they think of Germany, do they really? For all <laughs> sort of range of reasons, you know. Um, but they are the biggest players here. 96 MEPs um, out of just over 700. Um you know, look at we've said it before, the European Union is running the interests of Germany. They're the ones who benefit most from it. Uh, and despite all the talk about their benevolent, you know, interest in everyone else, um, they, they're very much there for themselves. I suppose just a bit of a breakdown on their MEPs. These are the big players in the EPP group, which is the group that Fine Gael is in. It's the biggest group in the parliament and it's led by the Germans. 29 MEPs are in that group. So quite um, some of mixed favourites are in that. Uh, Michael <laughs> Galler, David McAllister. Would you like to tell people about them? Um, yeah, there's a good few Germans on the um, on Foreign Affairs uh, Committee. Uh, not so many of them on, on Security and Defence, but um, a lot of them on Foreign Affairs. Of course, Foreign the, Affairs is much bigger It's funny, the there. next biggest group after the EPP is actually the Greens. There's 24 yeah. Greens, but they're not all members of what would be the yeah. Green Party. There's other groups, like the Pirate Party is in that. There's a guy, well, Patrick Breyer, good guy. And they have on, some regional ones as well, and like Bayern so, ones. Yeah, and, yeah, actually in the EPP, there's two different groups as, yeah. w- as well in that. But like, it's interesting there. The German Greens make their presence known, really, don't they? I mean, and it's funny, on the committee I'm on, on Libe, which is the civil rights one, they'd be pretty good 
on refugees and issues like that. Eric Marcon is a good guy. Uh, we do a lot of work with him on Afghanistan and other stuff. But then on foreign affairs, oh, mother of... Yeah, they, they are, are the worst. They are the horror scene yeah. on foreign affairs in the parliament. Uh, yeah. Now, just on the EPP fellas first. Yeah, Michael Galler is their main spokesperson on foreign affairs. He's very right wing um, and um, not, not, not the most pleasant of individuals. Um, David McAllister would also be very right wing, but he's the chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee and I find him to be a fair chair. Uh, he always, I always find, despite the fact that he wouldn't be agreeing with anything I'd be saying, uh, he always treats me fairly, which is uh, important. As a committee, if, he, if, if the chair of a committee decides to give you a raw deal, uh, they have great power to give you very little time uh, to speak. <laughs> so uh, it's a big issue. Um, now, David McAllister and Michael Gallagher were horrific last week on, on Israel, but then most Germans were. Uh, you're right, Claire, about, about the Greens. I mean, I find the Greens the most shocking of all. I find them uh, just unbelievable on foreign affairs. I mean, obviously... Tell us a bit about that. Like, well, I, mean, I mean, you take uh, Reinhard uh, Budikoffer, for example, right? I mean, he referred to myself and Claire as panda huggers because we were uh, challenging the narrative uh, on China we don't agree with the anti-China This rhetoric. guy's the chair of the China yeah, delegation. He's, 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 yeah. yeah, the chair of the China, EU-China delegation. And he's making uh, racist remarks uh, at the Chinese. I mean, that's incredible. Now, we actually wrote to uh, Sassoli, the president uh, of the parliament, uh, complaining. Uh, but he chose to do nothing about it. Mm. And they talk a lot about uh, racism in the European Parliament. Uh, they accuse a lot of people of it, but uh, when they're prepared to engage in it themselves and not shine the, the torch on themselves when they do, which is really disappointing. Mm. Now, there's, there's, um, there's an, a Green called uh, Viola von Kramen, oh uh, Tabadell. Uh, my God, she is so right-wing. It's scary. And uh, I remember on one occasion, uh, I was speaking on saying so I was speaking about something that she didn't agree with, and she started talking over me and heckling me. Unbelievable! Mm. Like, I mean, uh, they support all sorts of military intervention. Isn't yeah, it? they uh, speak out a kind of about the, against. They say they're against the defence expenditure of the EU, and they voted against that. But that's a bit of a sleight of hand because it's not that they, they think the member states should be coming together and spend. It's not that they're against military expenditure. They just don't want the EU doing it. Mm. They want member states doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. and um, their, their main spokesperson on foreign affairs, uh, the Greens, uh, has been Hannah Nyman, also very right wing. Uh, she was the spokesperson on security and defence. For some strange reason, she's dropped it there about a month ago and someone else is doing it now. But uh, on other issues, I mean, obviously, the Greens uh, are ex are very good on environmental issues. And the, the one I, that would that I find probably the most impressive of them uh, would be Jutta Paulus. Yeah, she's uh, great. Yeah. She's, uh, the Environment Committee. She's really good. She, she can, you, know, you just know she works hard and uh, she cares. Uh, she's very impressive. Yeah. Um, so, but of the others, um, 
we don't see an awful lot more of them. Well, it's uh, interesting, isn't it? Because the third group then is the S&Ds, which is the second group in the parliament. There's only 16 uh, Germans in that. Now, I suppose the most well-known one of that would be uh, Katerina Barley, who's um, one of the vice chairs, pleasant enough woman. Quite a few of them would be Yeah, on, no, I, I like her. Yeah. yeah, on Libe with me, yeah. uh, Birgit Sippel, uh, people like that. And, you know, they're they're OK. They're, as you'd expect, kind of, they're OK on, you know, they're goodish on refugees, on privacy, but kind of middle of the road. And actually, the next group then is the far right alternative oh, yeah. for Deutschland have 11. Yeah. Next. Well, actually, they're gone down to 10 now because one of them left. Um, and then Renew was next. So Renew actually only have about seven MEPs, which is interesting. And they come from two groups. So you have a mix in the parliament where the Renew group, which Fianna Fáil are in, is dominated by the French. Yeah. But the EPP, EPP dominate and Germans dominate in the other right wing groups. So they're kind of historic, I suppose, reasons and and. and I don't know, it's a bit weird. Anyway, the they left is the smallest group. We have a group called D-Linka. There's five of them in our group. And then there's two or three non-aligns and animal parties. And d Departai is another mm. one, the, the party. It's kind yeah. of a joke. Not in a bad way, like Martin Sonneberg is, is, is Sonneborn is a comedian, a very well-known celebrity in Germany. Mm. And him and a colleague sort of as a sort of a, an ironic thing set up Departai. <laughs> But they're actually pretty good and we work very closely with Martin on the Julian Assange stuff and that really good, yeah. serious guy actually, you know. Yeah. Cool. Um, we, sh- we should mention as well, um, I mean, Claire says that the, the Germans run this place, which they do, and they run it in the interest of Germany uh, and then for everyone else and they really dominate. But I mean, people kind of forget uh, how powerful the country are. They're, they're the second biggest exporters in the world after China. That's incredible. Mm. Um, I mean, they have a population somewhere around 83 or 85 million. Uh, so they're, they're, they are the biggest uh, country in the EU. Um, also, um, the things like, for example, um, the investment deal with China, uh, that's, the, that's actually been driven very much, even though it's, it's been put on hold a little bit at the moment. Um, there's been a lot of controversy over it because of the uh, tit-for-tat sanctions between the EU and China. But that's something that's very much in the interest of, China, of, Russia, of Germany. And the Germans, even though they were under pressure from the Americans before Biden came in in January, to stall on the deal until Biden came into position and that they wanted to talk and have a, a, a common... Uh, approach to China but the Germans just ploughed on no we want that deal through because there's actually more in it for Germany than there is for China Uh, for the Chinese it was more of a a diplomatic thing Uh, but for the Germans uh, there's uh, favourable investment arrangements that really suit them and the the same with Nord Stream 2 which is a pipeline uh, that's going to bring natural gas from uh, Russia to Germany, uh, and uh, in other words, and to all of Europe uh, from there. And there's been huge pressure from the Americans to stop it because mm. the Americans would, would rather us to be dependent on their frack gas. And, and uh, the European Parliament has been against it for a while as well, voted against it, but the Germans go. The Germans keep going. Anyway, yeah, yeah. It, it suits Germany and... Uh, it it's nearly complete. It's nearly yeah. complete. Yeah. And uh, the Americans have, have threatened to put sanctions on and that kind of thing. Yeah. But... Uh, 
the Germans are pretty strong and they're, they're pretty determined. And when push comes to shove, the Germans do what suits Germany. Yeah, and know. it's in their economic interest yeah. to do it. I mean, they are the most industrialised country in the European Union. Very diversified. Cars is their big one. Yeah. Uh, which brings us back to the whole climate change debate and this idea that we're going to solve climate change by just replacing all the petrol and diesel cars with electric cars ain't going to happen. We need a, a rethink on that. Agriculture is really limited. But I think the interesting thing, which I thought was great, is that it has a growing vegan and vegetarian mm, population. Yeah. 10% of the population Jesus. is vegetarian and 3.2% are vegans and growing. That's so big, fair yeah. play. Yeah, they're the biggest by Berlin a long shot. Berlin is a big shot. vegan city. Yeah, well. no, fair play. Yeah. fair play. We probably should mention um, that Mercosur trade deal that we've talked a lot about, which is a, uh, an arrangement between the EU and four Latin American countries, four South American countries, um, the, the this has really been driven by Germany because it's about Germany selling cars mm-hmm. t- to Latin America at more favourable terms, yeah. right? And uh, as I've, I've we've, we've pointed out uh, for a long time, Mercosur deal is it would be a disaster for farming uh, yeah. in Europe, and the, the, this crack of us uh, buying cereal and meat from South America, where where we're encouraging people to cut down trees in the Amazon t- so that Ireland can uh, to, to buy cereal for our dairy industry in Ireland so that we can make cheese and baby powder to mm. sell to the Chinese. Um, from an environmental point of view, it's nuts. Mm. And as you all know, there's a, a commissioner of um, origin of each member state. So um, the Irish one, as you know, is Mairead McGuinness. The German one is... Well, von der Leyen. President von der Leyen. Oh. She's the president of the commission. So this was a big... What do you think there that one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've, we did a special now a while ago on the German um, presidency of the council. But uh, mm. before that, at the very start of the mandate, um, there was a big uh, question about who would be the president of the commission. How do we decide it? And it's usually decided then between the member states. And it's not very democratically decided, really. It's just kind of a, what works. Um, who's the candidate that can work for bringing the whole block together? And uh, so she was the one that was picked, um, Ursula von der Leyen, and that would really put a thorn in the side of of Franz Timmermans, who had his hopes on on being the commission president. But anyway, she's... Yeah, Timmermans would have been more impressive. Yeah, Um, oh God, she's awful. Yeah, Yeah. and and her statement last week um, on the Israel-Palestine issue was horrific. She actually came out and condemned Hamas for firing rockets into Israel and did not condemn anything that Israel was doing. Well, and people need to be reminded that there were 66 Palestinian children killed and there was two Israeli children killed. And she comes out and she can only condemn Hamas. Unbelievable. Well, I think we made the point last week that there wasn't a single good German contribution on the that Palestine debate. Oh, debate. They were all dreadful and it is a legacy of their guilty past. But of course... I mean, what came along this week then to save the day that they all forgot about Israel and all that because Lukashenko brought yeah. down the Rhine airplane and then suddenly now, you know, the deaths and the decimation in Palestine, Very, no, yeah. nobody cared about that or defending yeah. Israel. They had a new show in town. Okay. I, I don't think we could finish on Germany without mentioning football. Germany. I could. I, well, I couldn't, <laughs> right? And... Um, there's been two. I've been at two tournaments in Germany, the European Championships in '88, when Ireland beat England in Stuttgart, and then there was the World Cup in '06, uh, when uh, 
the Italians uh, won the final against France. But Germany was a very good country for both those tournaments. It's a great country for a football tournament and really enjoyable. And um, But also, I mean, Germany had been a powerhouse uh, in world football uh, all my lifetime. And uh, I've always been an admirer of German football. And uh, at club level, obviously, uh, Munich are pretty dominant. Uh, Dortmund have been uh, good on uh, at, in different uh, phases, um, but football is very strong in Germany. They get great crowds, and an interesting thing about them: none of the Germans were actually going to go into the Super League, and and one of the reasons for that is that uh, no corporation can more can own more than forty nine percent of a German club, which mm. is really significant because. It, that Super League thing was very much being driven by uh, corporate-owned uh, clubs completely. And so the Germans weren't, weren't going to participate in it, which was fair play to them. You know, it's a beautiful country geographically. And of course, we should say in the in the 2015 misnamed refugee crisis where they present as if there were hordes of refugees wanting to come to Europe. But there was about two million and Germany at the time accepted about one million because they're pretty sharp, the Germans. They knew having a young, vibrant you know, addition to their economy was a, a good thing. And obviously there was certain backlash to that. We've seen alternative for Deutschland growing in terms mm-hmm. of the far right. But in actual fact, there is quite a large refugee community and in many areas they are well integrated and they've obviously been a great addition yeah. to the German economy. Uh, one of the reasons we'll, why we'll, it does better than most. Yeah, and we'll see how that goes now in the Bundestag elections mm-hmm. in September, um, big elections. And also, we have to mention Angela Merkel. She's been around since 2005. <laughs> Chancellor since 2005. That's like, yeah. it's, it's a long run. So she's not going for a fifth term. There'll be a new Angela in town from September onwards. Hard to uh, replace her. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they'll lick her shoes, really, to be honest. Yeah. They give out about Putin being in power for so long. She's, she's nearly in power as long as Putin. Mm. Bit of yeah. a dictatorship. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's no, she, she was very formidable. And... Yeah. Um, she has been the number one European leader Absolutely. by a distance for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. So uh, let's move on to other things in town. What's been happening? Um, we were just touching on Belarus there. So Belarus, we had radio silence for a while there after a few months. And now all of a sudden it's back in the news. Talk us through it. Yeah, well, Claire was making the point that um, it's managed to take the... Um, the, the massacre of uh, mm. so many Palestinians uh, off the map uh, f- this week. Um, and look, at, I mean, uh, we've said openly that um, Lukashenko was out of order, bringing the plane down. And um, uh, we'd, we don't think it complies with international law. And uh, it's completely wrong. Uh, but then uh, we have made the point that when... In July 2013, there was a plane, uh, I think it was, had left it left somewhere in Russia anyway, and was heading for South America. Uh, Evo Morales, the Bolivian president at the time, was on the plane. And there was the Americans thought that Edward Snowden was also on, it, on his way to get asylum in South America. And they brought the plane down. Uh, uh, I think it was it was in Austria. Austria, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, there wasn't. I don't think. I, I don't think there was any mem- EU member states complaining about it. So the, the hypocrisy is a bit, uh, yeah. a bit nauseating. I mean, and this is 
you know, it, it tells the story of this place all over. Like you had the, the horror that had unfolded in, in Gaza and how that was mischaracterized here. And then suddenly this comes along and, you know, everybody will know the um, Belarusian authorities uh, basically said there was a bomb scare on a Ryanair plane going from Greece to Lithuania because basically there was a, a an opposition blogger, young fella on the plane that they wanted to essentially arrest. So their warplanes escorted down to land the Ryanair plane, which was an absolutely outrageous act. There's no question or if or but about that, even from the point of view of the safety of crew, workers' rights and so on. Absolutely outrageous uh, but it wasn't unprecedented. And that was the thing everybody going, oh, my God, this is unprecedented. This is an act of state terrorism. I mean, there's been many examples before, all equally appalling mm. as well, where the Israelis brought down planes looking for fellas, where the French brought down a plane looking for the Algerians before, where other authorities did it. It's completely wrong always and forever, you know, but uh, for the... Uh, European Parliament to be getting up on their unprecedented drum is really just, it's ridiculous, you know, it really is. I, I was interviewed by um, a Belarusian TV station yesterday even, um, and uh, they were asking me what I thought of the idea of sanctions. I mean, well, first of all, people keep forgetting that sanctions, uh, as the EU are presently talking about, are illegal, yeah. they are against the UN Charter, they're against international law, because sanctions are only within the remit of international, they only fit with international law if they are sanctioned by the UN. The UN has to give its blessing, otherwise they are illegal. So all this talk of sanctions uh, is a total breach of international law, but unfortunately it's a big problem that international law is being disrespected by so many powerful countries in the world today, including the EU. So it's very disappointing. Well, especially the EU. That's what I think our listeners probably... Are, it is shocking to hear how uh, just blatantly we flout international law mm. on purpose and completely sideline it. So instead of going through the UN, we've set up now this own sanctions mechanism within the EU to do unilateral sanctions, which, as you said, is completely illegal. It's against the UN Charter. So... It's just, uh, it's it's just weird the 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 complete denial of of uh, yeah. of reality though of, of the actual mm. international order on the accepted order on this, you know. So. Yeah, but I mean, listen, uh, I made the point yeah. on, on the interview as well. I said, uh, you know, there would not be as much interest in Belarus if it wasn't on the Russian border, and there wouldn't be as much interest in Belarus if there was a neoliberal right wing economy uh, in place. Uh, they don't like the, the way the country is run mm. and they would like to have a government of uh, of their making uh, next to Russia. Mm. And so really what the EU is doing, it's enga engaging in regime change. Mm. And there's a lot of money being pumped into Belarus to support uh, radio stations, newspapers, magazines, uh, protests, uh, to try and help bring about that regime change. And the National Endowment for Democracy, that American uh, propaganda outlet, is one of the main, would be one of the main funders. But there's EU uh, organisations as well uh, that are funding uh, regime change right now in Belarus. And that does not uh, fit with international law. Yeah, and it, it would appear that the young fellow they were after and bringing down the plane had developed links with neo-Nazis in the Ukraine and areas like that. Doesn't justify the action, mm. but 
by all accounts, a very unsavoury uh, young fella and a mm. lot of sort of anti-democratic practices going on, undermining the situation in uh, Belarus, which yeah. obviously Lukashenko being a bit of a headbanger, to put it mildly, is not helping uh, either, you know. And the, yeah. the timing of it all was interesting as well, because it happened just before European Council summit. So mm. a big, big summit with all the leaders across the member mm. states. And they were able to agree there and then on like san- sanctions within yeah. hours of this happening and no towards, sanctions yeah. towards Belarus a complete like, like it's it's yeah. really hard to imagine yeah but um yeah I mean the, 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 that's, that's a fair point I mean uh, the people even at home in Ireland uh, loads of people are calling oh we have to have sanctions against Belarus we have to have sanctions against Belarus the same people were not calling for sanctions against Israel who were massacring Palestinians yeah. but they want to sanction Belarus because he brought a plane down which he shouldn't have yeah. and listen I made the point on the interview yesterday evening as well that if I was in, in Belarus I'd want rid of Lukashenko too yeah. Yeah. Right? but I'd want I'd, I'd like the Ukrainian or like, I'd like the Belarusians to get rid of him uh, I wouldn't want the EU doing it and yeah. what do you make of um, Ursula von der Leyen's statement at the council meeting where she said uh, look we Belarus, we have a big investment package for you. I can't remember what the number was. Big sum. Yeah, tr- uh, three billion. Three billion. When you're democratic, I'll yeah. give it yeah. to you. Yeah, it's called so. bribery. Yeah. <laughs> it's gas. Well, God's but, sake, like. But they have their little pet, you know, sort of lady in waiting to take over the throne, the little oh, young one, is. you know, who's yeah, in again. Uh, God help her, you know. I'm Although she's been groomed again. This is another Guaido now or another flipping oh, Navalny. Uh, but this is a, a, a pretty young version of it, you know, Tiganoska. I've, I've had two almighty. awful rows yeah. with her at Foreign Affairs. Uh, I mean, oh. uh, and, and she, she, she had no defence like, I mean, uh, mm. this is just ridiculous. You know? Let's talk about the Security and Defence Committee. Um, there's been some things happening there on military mobility. No surprises, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, look, we've had a lot of security and defence meetings this week and, I mean, they kind of range from the sort of touching on the Russians are coming, which is the justification for all of this military expenditure, to the unveiling of some of the plans that are underway with EU citizens' taxes in terms of the military field. And I think it's very interesting for Ireland because the Irish government plays this game of we're neutral and we're not really involved. But of course, the EU has these PESCO projects um, and these are military cooperation. Ireland opted in. We didn't have to, but we did. And the big show in town is military mobility. So billions of funds being made available for um, coordination of military efforts across Europe. So it could be roads, could be railways, whatever. And Ireland has an observer status on that project and they kind of downplay that. But actually... The fellow leading it, the Dutch are leading this project and he wasn't shy about saying about three times, well, all member states are involved. And then he said, oh, well, Ireland is an observer, but they're still at that table. And this is a first because now for the first time, outside countries are involved in this project and the United States, Canada and Norway are involved in this project. So the people were quite open saying this is really important. And I said, well, how come... um, Third countries are only supposed to be involved for exceptional reasons and if they bring substantial added value. So what are the exceptional reasons for admitting these three countries and what's the added value that they give? And the basic answer was, well, look, it's great for EU-NATO relations. This is a key step forward in EU-NATO relations. And here we have Ireland sitting at the table of this saying, well, the Americans have great expertise in moving troops to right they do, like, you know, all across the flipping world. But uh, I think Irish people should know that we're involved in this. We're at the table of this. And uh, I think that's, you know, 
pretty bad form, really, you know. Yeah. 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 But, but speaking of NATO, uh, we, we had um, um, there was a piece on uh, security and defence as well about the EU NATO cooperation. Uh, there's there's a, a report being done on it, right? And we we submitted 33 amendments to it, and not one of them were taken on board. But anyway, we don't agree with this. Uh, EU-NATO cooperation thing anyway. Uh, they, they, they're presenting NATO as a, a democratic peace project. I mean, it's absolute nonsense. And they're trying to associate it with democracy and freedom and respect for human rights, international cooperation and peace. I mean, uh, we reminded them of Kosovo, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, Iraq and the Sahel. I mean, NATO and its members have been carrying out wars of aggression, regime chain wars, armed and trained extremist terrorists, and uh, it's overthrown democratically elected governments. And in some cases, they're involved also in the sanction regimes. I mean, this is something that the Irish people should have nothing whatever to do with it. It's not about peace. It's about war. It's about promoting the arms industry. It's about... Uh, backing up uh, US imperialism and it, it's a shocking organisation and it was chaos we had this uh, mad American ambassador fellow William Taylor in at the committee and he was you know sort of promoting NATO's interests and in that as well but the discussion was about the time Russia moved its troops to the Ukrainian border and they were all up in arms oh my god Russia's invading being really aggressive and we made the point back to him saying sorry now before Russia moved the troops on their own border there was a Defender Europe NATO exercise where 28,000 troops sort of did a practice about how they could do an offensive strike against mm. Russia, right? That, that mm. was the exercise. They were moving US warships into the area and Russia was saying, listen, lads, this is provocative. And we said, would you not think that Russia might have been reacting to defend themselves rather than provoking the situation that it was there? Uh, and they said, no, 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 no. But how could that be? We're a peace project. Like, we're uh, we're NATO. We keep the peace by basically being strong. What a load of absolute... The, the, the same fella... Yeah. Uh, he says you don't. You know, he says that Russia interfered in the elections in 2014 <laughs> in Ukraine, right? Now this, this was laughable, right? Yeah. Uh, in 2014, the uh, Victoria Newland, the American Assistant Secretary of State, admitted in a phone call that the Americans had spent five billion dollars organizing the coup uh, in Ukraine in 2014. Talk about interference! Yeah, I and. That interference of which the EU uh, has been complicit in has pauperized Ukraine. Mm. There's five million people after leaving Ukraine since because the, the, the wheels have fallen off in the place. It's mm. crazy. And there's huge instability. There's the row in the Donbass. Uh, there's the friction with Russia. And this this has all been driven by the US and EU. Mm. It's, an, it's a scandal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, other stuff that was happening uh, Afghanistan there was a meeting on that during the week uh, the two of you were speaking at that yeah um, it was uh, yesterday evening I think it was was it yeah, uh, yeah but um, I mean uh, Claire is actually the, the assistant chair of the Af Afghanistan delegation <laughs> yeah. first vice president first actually. vice president <laughs> first, first vice president, president. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, there was uh, only about six of us on the committee like so it wouldn't be that great but uh, still uh, no, no. Um, but listen, I suppose the uh, the team in the European Union is all about the fact that the Americans are leaving, 
and they're saying, oh my God, oh my God, uh, this is terrible, the Americans are leaving. Well, in, in actual fact, it was terrible that they were ever there in the first place. Mm. And people keep, kept, people have been saying for the last few years that um, the things will get worse if the Americans leave. Well, things are very, very bad anyway. And we're not saying that they're going to get any better anytime soon when the Americans mm. leave either. Uh, because the Taliban are going to take over the place and they're a pretty nasty bunch they are. Um, but what, at, at the debate yesterday, we pointed out the fact that this this idea that, oh, the Americans have to stay or things will get worse is absolute nonsense. The Americans should have left a long time ago. And they, they went in there 20 years ago and things have not got any better since. They've, they've, they've absolutely destroyed the place. But not only that, right, the... I mean, there's a real good question to be asked as to why the Americans were there. Uh, it was it didn't make any sense as a military operation. It had nothing to do with nation building. It, it actually didn't really fit with normal uh, U.S. imperial expansion. So what they were really what was really going on, and it was exposed very much in 2007, when the Americans pulled out most of their own troops, uh, who were well trained don't cost the American state near as much. And they put in private contractors, right? And they ended up spending an absolute fortune in the place. It was a way of giving money uh, to the, uh, there's the different arms manufacturers and different companies. And if you look at the figures, the Americans say now that they have spent $2.1 trillion, that's over $2,000 billion in Afghanistan, over... To, and of that, over 2,000 billion went on the war, and most of it went to these private contractors. Only 24 billion went, uh, went on the Afghan econ- economic development, just over 1%. So, in actual fact, the money was literally being used uh, to uh, shunt tax dollars directly to stockholders, uh, connected military firm- firms like Raytheon and Lockheed Martin, and uh, it's a way of doing it. It's a way of giving money to the private sector without the American taxpayer complaining because they see it as, oh, they're over there protecting us. But in actual fact, it was a senseless uh, war from day one for America. And it turns out it, it has developed into, it was just a way of actually giving money to these guys. Crazy. And thousands of American soldiers lost their lives, not to mind the hundreds of thousands of Afghanis. It's one of the poorest countries in the world. 55% of the population in poverty, 40% in extreme poverty. That's 15 million people like who literally, you know, don't have enough to eat. And that's despite as Mick said, money being pumped in, mm. but it's going to the, the wrong place. They're totally dependent on foreign money. The EU is the biggest sort of contributor of aid, but that's just a nonsense. Mm. It is a failed state. Like it doesn't, the, the country doesn't function properly. The Taliban are in control of about 70 areas where 70% of the population live, generally the, the rural areas and that. And actually in a lot of those areas, people prefer the Taliban to be there because there's a bit of order in it, which in the cities and the more urban areas where it is certainly better in terms of say you know girls going to school and that sort of stuff but the security forces have been really appalling there there's been uh, terrorist attacks targeted killings Uh, you know we had the horrific uh, bombing of the school in Kabul there by ISIS I mean it was negligence on behalf of the state forces there as well the suicide car had been there 24 hours they didn't detect that and huge amount 90% of the 
bill of the Afghan state forces, which is is being paid by the Americans. And when the American leaves, they're going to crumble because there's no ideology behind them. Mm. They're just in it for the money or, you know, tribal lords or whatever sign up fellas to sort of say they're in the army to get the money. It's going to crumble once the US leave. But and maybe in the short term, things will be a little bit you know, rougher, but uh, I think definitely in the long run it's going to be, because they're all going to leave, because all the NATO troops will leave about time. Did you notice that two German Greens Mm. uh, got up yesterday and spoke and said that, oh, but there has been some progress in the 20 years that Americans are there. Progress, my sister. Mm. I mean, I, I made the point that Similar countries that have that weren't invaded have made a lot more progress yeah. in the last twenty yeah. years, and there's been a lot of focus on women's rights there, and rightly so. But people forget that forty years ago there was a left-wing government in Afghanistan, and women's rights were better then than they are now. Mm. Forty years ago, but that was before the U.S. and the Saudis armed the Mujahideen mm. people. Mm. It's something that you don't actually see printed in the mainstream media anymore. But in actual, people people will find will be amused by it. the Americans actually made films about the great Mujahideen in order to counteract Russia at the time and mm. to get rid of the left wing government in Afghanistan. Um, I mean, they literally lo- they were praising the Mujahideen and the Taliban and Al Qaeda came out of the Mujahideen mm. and uh, they were literally created supported and funded by the Americans and the Saudis and has a a direct link into a lot of huge problems in the whole region since. But isn't it ironic that we had all the discussion yesterday and there was no mention of the peace process. There's supposed to be this peace process going with the Afghan government and the Taliban, but sure, look at it's just, uh, and they say, oh, it's going to be Afghan owned and Afghan led, but it hasn't been like, it's a joke. And in fairness, the government doesn't really have democratic legitimacy. It's really gas. Like they go criticising, you know, the government in Venezuela and these places but the Afghan election out of a population of 40 people about 2 million people voted it took 7 months to get the results there were killings between the two sides on that but that's not democratically legitimate and they've been involved in a huge amount of corruption and and mismanagement as well so yeah yeah. it's a really it's a very depressing situation but it's the consequence of interventionism yeah we'll definitely come back to Afghanistan a lot more as well because as we said Claire you're the vice president of the committee um, and there's Obviously, a lot of um, awful stuff happening there that we need to keep talking about. Um, but let's also talk about the Environment Committee. There are some things happening today. Just before we go into methane, which I know you want to talk about, Mick, um, we got some results in on the biodiversity strategy, which was just voted. Uh, there's a final vote happening right now, but this is a big uh, report on the biodiversity strategy from the EU for the next 10 years, what's going to happen until 2030. And two of your amendments passed uh, that the two of you tabled. Well, there's other amendments passed through the negotiations, but two separate ones. One is on stopping fracking across the EU, Mm. calling on all member states. So just to update you on that. And also on climate and environmental degradation induced displacement. So about refugees from when their environment, um, people seeking asylum from when their environment is degraded, which I'm sure Fine Gael aren't very happy about because the last plenary, they led a campaign to delete uh, all sorts of references to climate induced displacement from a report, which is very shameful. But anyway, there's your two amendments that passed. And then there's another one that didn't pass, which I'm sure you can probably guess. It was about military emissions Mm. and the environmental impact of militaries and asking the commission to investigate the environmental impact of PESCO 
and hmm. member state militaries, which got seven votes. Oh, seven no. votes. Yeah. Oh, my God. So my God. the Greens, as we were talking about, didn't even support that. And that's kind of the weird nexus we were talking about there of Greens yeah, and yeah. military. And yeah, you don't unreal. know, like, it's just a weird yeah. intersection yeah. there for them. So people at home yeah. probably shouldn't be so surprised that the, the Green Party in government in Ireland today is perfectly... Uh, comfortable with the US military continue to use Shannon as a US military base to destroy countries in the Middle East. And the Greens are in government in a lot of countries yeah, around Europe yeah. with very right wing parties yeah. in that as well. So it's a but bit of a it's sham. It's funny even just to call like this to assess the environmental yeah. impact there that's crossing a line already for that's the whole yeah, department. So it's yeah. it's just a completely no go zone. You can't talk about military's climate or environmental impact. Yeah. But besides that there was a hearing yesterday on methane um, emissions which um, are very important for the for the for, for basically staying within 1.5 degrees. Uh, if we don't tackle methane, uh, we're screwed. So <laughs> you were speaking at that hearing. Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, obviously, we haven't much time left now, but yeah. I, I think we, this is something we should come back to because it's something very important. And uh, what I was talking about was uh, the need for the commission to actually take more seriously. Uh, the, the the methane emissions from agriculture and uh, having to deal with it. Now, there's an interesting guy on it called Miles Allen. Now, um, he's uh, probably, um, the farmers are probably uh, liking what he, sort of what he's saying because what he's really saying is that uh, the methane emissions as they are, are manageable. Uh, if they went down, it'd be great. But he says, if they stay the same, it's not the end of the world. But if they go up, he says, it'd be a disaster. Mm. But unfortunately in Ireland, we are not only have we increased the dairy herd, but we're actually looking at increasing it further. Yeah. So it is a worrying uh, factor. And, uh, uh, but it's something we probably can touch on again another day. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot to say. And there's a big uh, report coming up on that that you'll work on, Mick, and also a legislative proposal later on in the year. So that's going to be a lot of work on methane. Uh, been way overlooked for far too long. Besides that, did you see the Eurovision? Are you well? <laughs> I didn't even know it was on. <laughs> because I'm realising that we didn't give our uh, dues poids to Germany. So what's the points system there for Germany? We give a nice rating usually for each country. And they're, we look, they're a big player here. Yeah. Like, and when we rate them, we say, is their presence felt here? And it certainly is. You'd have to give them 10. They control the show. That doesn't mean that we think they're good or we <laughs> agree with them. It just means they dominate everything. And they work like mad. Big players in town. Yeah, yeah. look, yeah. they're an amazing country, yeah. really. They're really a powerful yeah. country. Yeah. Uh, we don't, obviously, we, as we've, we've pointed out, we disagree with a lot of the things going on and what they're saying and doing. Um, but um, they're the most organised country in Europe, Europe by a mile. Yeah. So are they getting... I'd give them 10, 10 in terms of their presence here, 9 or Why 10, not? absolutely. Well, we haven't always marked just in terms of presence. Well, it's it's about, you know, okay. it's kind of like, are I, they here? Like, do you see, feel them? It doesn't, you don't have to agree them with fine, them, but okay, they're okay, here. Okay, they're, okay, so, I mean... Well, there's I'll, loads of them, in fairness. Okay, <laughs> yeah, well, there is more of them, that's true, yeah. Right, well, so maybe uh, 10 is true, maybe 8. Yeah, but okay, yeah. no, no one... Uh, no one beats them for presence here, yeah. but at, at the same time, we sh let's let's not forget that uh, their position on the massacre of the Palestinians last week has left a mark on me. I was shocked hmm. that they, and it's directly linked, obviously, as Claire said earlier, uh, to their guilt for what they did to the European Jews hmm. in the Second World War. But uh, I don't think it's fair to uh, penalise 
the children and women of Palestine for what they did in the Second World War. Mm. Yeah. Unfortunately, so. they weren't alone. There was loads of so awful country things for said. Week. Claire, you're picking this time. Oh my God, it's Ireland. <laughs> oh, ah. <laughs> I'll talk about oh, the MEPs Christ. for Ireland South. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Specifically. Okay. Okay. I, I, should, I should do okay in that one. <laughs> you never know. You have a week beat. to behave. <laughs> okay, Sinead, we'll go do our research for next week. Bye bye. Ciao. Adieu. <laughs>